You're listening to Ecotones Now. We're a 100% independent, volunteer-run podcast companion to the award-winning site Environmental History Now, a platform to showcase the work and expertise of graduate students and early career scholars who identify as women, trans, and or non-binary people. I'm Emma Mosswild. I'm Natalie Jo Rose Wilkinson. And we're your hosts for this season, Our Community's Voices. We are so grateful this week to welcome Dr. Ramya Swayamprakash, who is an assistant executive editor for Environmental History Now, to host this week's very special episode. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Ecotones Now. Um, I am delighted to welcome you um, to this episode and to welcome Dr. Celeste Henry, who's currently transitioning out of academia um, uh, and is going to be speaking with us today about all things generative, exciting about academia and life beyond it. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. It's good to be here. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, my name is Celeste Henry, and I'm currently a research associate in the Department of African and African Diaspora Studies at the University of Texas at Austin. I have a PhD in anthropology, and my career has really been about exploring uh, different ways to apply my academic work um, beyond the university. What made you realize that you didn't want to be in academia? It was probably a variety of things, but it was at the end of graduate school where the pressure was on. And I'll back up to say that I didn't go to grad school to become a professor or for the academic track. Um, I'm a, I had a fellowship for kids of color to encourage them to go into academia. And there was loan repayment for my undergraduate loans. And so that was definitely an incentive to go back um, that they baited us with. And so I, I want to be transparent that that played a part. It wasn't the only part, but it played a role. I had done legal work in college. And so I knew that I didn't want to be a lawyer <laughs> or go to law school. And I have sort of an elite educational background where these types of professions were encouraged. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I knew I loved to, to study, you know, I'm a curious person. I remain curious to this day. If I could just get paid to, to, to um, take classes, I probably would. Um, but at the time I knew that any kind of profession, unfortunately, I felt that I would need to be taken seriously. And unfortunately in this society, those degrees play a role in that. And so in thinking about that, I was an undergraduate undergraduate major in anthropology. I loved what the discipline was about. Uh, I wouldn't say that I had a radical undergraduate education in anthropology, but my graduate tra tra uh, trajectory was, of course, very critical of anthropology's, the discipline's history and you know what it originates from a, its colonial uh, mm -hmm. nature, and so. I decided that it was important. You know, I felt like that I was going to go back to grad school. I decided I'd try to apply. And I found this program at UT Austin that was about Black folks, about Latin America, 
and a place where I could, I think, make a home. And that's what I did. And so I thought about it as a process. It wasn't a means to an end. It was a process that I actually enjoyed challenges and all. Um, I got to spend time in Brazil where I did my field work. I enjoyed the writing to the degree that academic writing is satisfaction. Yeah, I use the Mm -hmm. word satisfying, you know, not necessarily fun, but satisfying. And I learned a lot and I had a very international program. So there were a lot of parts of grad school that I really got a lot of a lot out of. It was very valuable, made wonderful connections with people, learned a lot from my peers um, who were all doing mostly activist oriented work around the globe. Uh, Those closest to me were in Latin America. um, And it was a very enriching space to be intellectual community that I would say was to my surprise has been hard to hard to find again. I didn't know how good I had it in, in I knew it was good, but I didn't know how um, dynamic of an environment that was at the time. I knew, but I just didn't, in contrast. So, um, so yeah, so then, you know, I think the, the end of, of, all of a sudden I was writing my dissertation and uh, I hadn't put much thought into what's happening next. I sort of was taking it as it came. And then between uh, the economic downturn, crisis, collapse in 2008, that's right when I started going on to the market. Um, So that painted a very bleak outlook for jobs. Um, There were maybe two or three jobs on, and, you know, many of my friends were applying for the same jobs. And so it was just disheartening time and also a scary time economically because I knew I needed to, a job just to pay the bills. And I don't think mm-hmm. a lot of hobby shops were hiring at that point. My PhD looked like a liability at that point. So um, so I took a job, which was the only job, a, an offer came up at the university to work at a policy institute and to work with a professor. So I took that grateful for income. And, um, and I think over the next couple of years, while I received, you know, job ad, ad advertisements, you know, about positions, there were tenure track positions that were coming up from advisors. Uh, I just started to look away. I just became disinterested. And I think the clincher was that the teaching part of it wasn't that compelling to me. And I think it's a worthy, wonderful profession and certainly something that you'd have to enjoy to move forward. And I'll just add that, you know, I did some research at that time. I was going to professors who I admired, particularly professors whose writing I admired to ask them. And I remember one specific professor, I said, do you like this job? Now, mind you, he was a tenured faculty and he had a fair amount of grants and stuff to do interesting work. And he was like, yeah, I love the job. But to me, the job is I get paid to teach. Like I paid, you know, that's where the bread and money bread and butter money is. And so that's what the job is. And I think that sort of sealed the deal too, is like, right, okay, that's what it is. So I, um, I just, it didn't, it wasn't dramatic. I continue to this day to work at the university in a research capacity. I had postdocs first and then that turned into a research position, but I just stopped applying. <laughs> so that's how I didn't become a tenure track or try to become a tenure track professor and saved your soul um <laughs> right um yeah i um i but i think what you're what you heard from this professor um 
is quite telling. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I'm not going to go on a tirade about academia. Um, but one of the reasons I mm-hmm. wanted to sort of become an academic was precisely this, that to me, teaching is the bread and butter. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not perfect at it, um, but I like interacting with students mm-hmm. um, and getting to do fun things. Like on Monday for one of my classes, we we played with Play-Doh and Bubbles. Um, mm-hmm. And what else? Oh, yeah, I had a puzzle for them. Um, but that's pretty much what we did for 75 minutes. We did Play-Doh, pu- Bubbles and Puzzles for mm-hmm. 75 minutes. Um, and I just, like, I think it's mostly my trauma uh, from having to go, having gone to um, uh, undergrad uh, and finished two of my graduate degrees in India where it wasn't sort of, there wasn't room to have an original thought in some senses. Mm. Like it was it was really competitive. It was really um, about doing like all the right things to get into all the right places. Um, I mean, my first graduate degree is from a place called Jawaharlal Nehru University in India, ostensibly, you know, the, the sort of foremost institution of its kind in India. Um, and I say ostensibly because it's being eroded by the powers that be today. Mm. Um, but anyway, it used to be really great. Um, and we, like, there were 60 of us in our program, um, which is already a large number. Um, but there were over 10,000 people who applied. And we were the top 60. Wow. Um And I don't say that to make myself sound smart. That's not, like... And this was in 2006 or like a good 16 years ago um but the first thing we were told when we got to our first day of sort of class slash orientation was that just because you've beaten 9000 whatever odd people doesn't make you smart you're still dumb and we were just like it's just the way education works Mm -hmm. and a part of me like just wanted to change that because i was always a problem child in school i was always the slacker in college because those pedagogical interventions made no sense to me. Right? Mm-hmm. And it was such a chore for me to be in these places because I was just not addressed. I wouldn't say taught, but I was never addressed like even a human being. Mm-hmm. And so to me, sort of being able to work with students and help them change their own ideas of the kinds of learners they are is exciting. I'm not saying I don't get frustrated. I do. We all do. Um, but that's a part of the game that I actually like. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love my research. It's not like I'm good at it. That's not, I'm working on two projects across two time zones across like whatever. I, I'm good at it. But that isn't the sort of thing that brought me into um, into this. And I feel like that's one of the things that grad school doesn't teach you. Mm-hmm. Right? Right? Like. That's right grad school doesn't actually train you to know that if you want to teach or not mm-hmm. right you spend your time researching um i'm assuming ut is a big land grant college so there's a like you have a lot of teaching assistantships not necessarily you know sole teaching opportunities which are actually where you realize whether you want to teach or not that's right 
um, or what kinds of things you want to do. So like one of the things for me in grad school was that I was a part of this initiative that the American Historical Association um, had undertaken to think, they called this like career diversity, which I still have a problem with. Um, but sort of thinking of what kinds of professional development can historians have um, that lets them do things meaningfully mm-hmm. um, without it being sort of this alt act, another term I despise, because um, it makes it sound like academia is the only choice. That's right. But there are systemic issues about what academia doesn't like train you to do. Mm-hmm. Um but also that you don't have to want to do it even if you're trained to do it, right? Um, like, if somebody does an MBA, it's not like they only have to go into a corporate world, right? They can they can go at an NGO, right? Like, so I, like, so one of the things I did in, in um, during grad school was to, um, like, work with a faculty member at uh, MSU. Mm-hmm. And we explored what graduate students could do with their education right um and their skills and there are so many things um but i feel like one of the sort of big challenges that comes with deciding to do a phd in the humanities and the social sciences is how do you how do you create and navigate a career path right like Mm -hmm. it's just not we're all oftentimes we're all told that like you're doing a phd you have to be an academic why like pray do tell why not everybody needs to want to do it and that's okay right like that's okay mm-hmm. um people who go to med school don't only become doctors like they don't mm-hmm. only become physicians so like the other things we can do with our lives and so i feel like that's something we don't talk about enough about you know creating and navigating your own career path within mm-hmm. phd programs and even after Mm-hmm. Like you said, you know, getting these job ads and being do- like nudged mm-hmm. to apply and consider because you've done a PhD, you've come this far. Like, mm-hmm. um, so yeah, I, I I was curious to hear what your experience might have been with sort of navigating this fraught uh, path. Yeah, I think uh, you know, I certainly at the end, as I've said, and kind of your sharing, there isn't a lot of uh, counsel on thinking about, quote unquote, a career, thinking about how you want to move forward professionally. And we, when I came into the program, because I had heard the, you know, the no, no, don't ever talk about leaving academia to your advisors kind of general advice. And it was very clear that at least one of my advisors was fine with people taking different paths, in part because I think of their own experience in life. And, um, I felt like I didn't have to only talk about going on the job market. Um, But I think what became clear at that point too, is that most of these people, I'm a ways out of grad school, but most of the faculty I was dealing had never thought about another path. And so these weren't folks who were very dexterous and thinking beyond academia. They could maybe at best give you advice about, uh, you know, books and article publications and, Uh uh, somewhat of the career, you know, job letters and all of that, even though I still don't think that's well done either, you know, mm-hmm. it takes a lot of initiative to be able to learn sort of the techniques and tools to get mm-hmm. yourself through into a job, if that's what you want. Um, and so I still, I should say in general, I sought help beyond my committee for help just with 
letters and all of the basics materials of applying. Um, I felt very alone in that process. I'll say that. Um, and, uh, and then I think, you know, I was told I was throwing my life away when I stopped applying. I was told um, a variety of things. I think I at least had enough in my belly, my own sense of myself, my own sense of intuition to know that while I didn't have, it wasn't the yes, it was the no, this isn't where mm -hmm. I need to go. Mm -hmm. And I have to just trust and move forward. Um, I don't think it's easy at all. And I, I'm not sure it's complicated because I think in academia, academics understand other academics. And so there's a lot of mm -hmm. resonance there. And, um, and, but if folks are taking the tenure track path, then they're not necessarily that skilled at directing you beyond that. And so I think it takes a lot of uh, self-motivation to find people who will present something else and can kind of help nurture the part of you that's unsure, nurture the part of you that wants to pursue other opportunities. And universities now are waking up to the fact that you can't guarantee jobs and most people won't get jobs mm -hmm. even if you want them. And so having a broad range of, of options and ways to think about how your interests and um, you know your research interests, your intellectual interests and pursuits can be explored in other venues, I think is vital and not to be a pessimist at all. I just, um, you know, I don't like the kind of rhetoric of, you know, the job market's tight, you won't get a job, you know, it's each person for themselves and you got to figure out if this is what you want to do and make it worth your, you know, do it, do it, you know, have the grit. I know friends who've had, they'd make perfect professors and they've had five, six jobs, they've done the adjunct, they've done that track. And now finally they have a tenure track position, but it hasn't been without a lot of bumps and moves and all that kind of stuff. And so to me, it has to be worth it. It has to be something that you care about some part of it that, you know, it's gotta be more than 50% to make Absolutely. it and pursue it. And so um, for myself, you know, I haven't received, I think I was of a time where there, this just wasn't a conversation that was had. And so a lot of it was going beyond and getting help and encouragement from people that there is intellectual life outside of academia, you know, there are places. And I'm still in the process of that pursuit, but I feel good about my decision. And I think I've been, I've worked with a lot of grad students, you know, through their dissertation from editing and stuff like that, to just kind of coaching through the process and giving the nurturance that often the advisors won't. And, um, and holding a posture, not that academia is bad, but that you have choice, you know, and yes. to affirm the part of people that are like, I don't know if I want to do this. And it's like, well, there's room to at least think about it, you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> explore mm -hmm. it. Yeah. And I think that the choice aspect is really important because I think we, this is something that I personally think that um, sometimes you don't feel like you have the choice. Like you're not sort of. That's right. Um, agency. I mean, we love to talk about agency. We love to talk about giving people agency, uh, but I'm not sure how much we take agency by mm -hmm. ourselves, right? Like, and, and like you said, you know, self-motivation is so important. Um, when I was exploring different career paths, I think like one of the funnest things for me was um, working on this exhibition um, mm -hmm. that I worked with the Michigan History Center. Okay. Um, and like, I found the coolest stories um, and, you know, it gave me a reason to go into the archives to look mm -hmm. for fun stuff. Mm -hmm. um, 
and it was like that that intellectual pursuit was great but it was also there was another intellectual pursuit um which was you know for someone like me who's an international student um it was also about immigration um mm-hmm. and you know all the layers of paperwork that That's i had right. to navigate um and the ways in which i had to educate the state of michigan um mm-hmm. and you know people at my school because right. i was proposing to do this as an internship but international students like it's complicated mm-hmm. That's right. um and so i had to have i had to speak with many officers on campus to figure out what the way forward is in a way that doesn't break the law mm-hmm. uh, but also lets me do this important part of my training right? right um because it's not just a cv line it it helps me grow and sort of you know this was um, this was a historian's work coming mm-hmm. out the exhibition wasn't just like you just slap it together and comes together right like right. so um and i think if I, i i don't know what prompted me to take that sort of initiative but i just did and mm-hmm. i was like you know i'm going to do this and i need to do this for myself mm-hmm. um but it's not something that comes easily it's not something that comes without sort of self doubt um and and then when you sort of and and i think the 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 one of the things that i realized most was how do you translate these into like you have the resources you have the the intellectual capabilities to to f- have a fulfilling career outside of academia but how do you translate what you've learned because mm-hmm. i'm not berating academia but i just think that you know it has its own vocabularies and we're all a bunch of academics um so we speak one kind of language right. and then when we're asked to translate that for somebody who's not in that little bubble right. it becomes difficult that's right? right um and that the barriers for anyone who wants to think outside of the bubble mm-hmm. um depending on what their status is mm-hmm. um immigration social economic like all of those the barriers actually compound with each right. new kind of positionality that you have right so um yeah the 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 question of agency is very interesting because you all love to write about it and mm-hmm. it. um but i often wonder as grad students how much agency we take for ourselves and mm-hmm. how much we are encouraged to take it like i was lucky to have um people on my committee who encouraged and sent these opportunities my way mm-hmm. um but not everybody has that mm-hmm. and it can feel really debilitating to to have to think about these and you know fight everyone all the time right yeah. um and it's not even a fight as much as you know like you said academics don't know like if you haven't had a job outside of academia then it's hard right. how do you encourage what do you write in in a recommendation letter right, right. um and so i'm i'm heartened and disheartened to sort of hear that uh thing change has been so slow um <laughs> you know um but uh, it's one of those things um yeah i um and so based like listening to you i'm i'm also interested in in how you've um approached the changing dynamics of you know your career because like you said you didn't you realized that you didn't want to be teaching um but then like 
from there to now, uh, it's been a journey. So like, how do you navigate that? Well, I think, I mean, the primary way is, was to start working outside of academia and, um, and I've done that locally, which has shifted what I do in general, still uses my academic background. So for example, I've worked at the Texas After um, Violence Project, which is a nonprofit that looks, deals with state violence. And that was a way that they wanted my academic skills. You know, of course, it's also a big thing about your, your person and your enthusiasm about carceral questions here mm-hmm. in Texas. And, uh, um, and so I didn't have to, I wasn't translating in one way. I was just showing up with the skills and look, using them mm-hmm. in a different venue. And I also have put my expertise to work expertise. I say kind of in quotes because, you know, I'm cynical of the expert, but, um, but doing uh, mitigation work here in Texas. So writing the life histories of persons on death row. And so for the uh, post-convictions, part of the post-conviction process. Mm-hmm. So working with legal teams to craft basically a racial analysis that the folks I've worked with are black men on death row. So racial gendered analysis that talks about the social structural pieces of their lives. And, um, and these were meaningful ways for me to take the skill set and put them in a different venue. So for the legal work, they want that PhD and they want that university affiliation, mm-hmm. which is also tricky if you're not, you know, this is one of the advantages. Um, and I could talk extensively about this, about when you're not a tenure track faculty, the precarity and sort of the hierarchy between faculty, you know, those who have a tenure track and those who don't. The university affiliation for this work has been really important because it gives it a ground, a platform, a structure that reeks of, you know, uh, expert, you know, it, mm-hmm. it validates that. Um, uh, so that's been a positive of continuing to work and sort of having one foot, one, one in and one out. Um, and as I've said, all of these things really are contingent upon my skills as an academic. They're not, mm-hmm. they haven't required a complete translation. And, um, and I've been doing those for a decade now. So pretty much most of my time outside of since, you know, completing my PhD, I've spent having a hand in these other worlds and I've really enjoyed that. Um, but, you know, the way my life is set up right now is not how I see it. You know, I don't find this, I kind of feel like my time with academia is coming to a conclusion, which is both sad in some ways, because I feel like I'm losing my intellectual, would lose my kind of intellect, formal intellectual life it's been really helpful to continue to write. You know, the beauty of this in-between space is that I feel no obligation to write in any traditional form and making that, cause I, and I don't have tenure clock kind of pressure to write. And that's opened up a lot. Um, it's enabled me to write for different venues. And I will say that my committee, this goes back to like the positives of what they provided was really supportive of my explorations with writing. Um, and I have had, I should say, I have had a community member, committee member who once I think got the message that I was no longer, you know, moving in the tenure track direction was sort of pushing me to explore writing opportunities beyond academia. And so that I think was a through line, meaning that that was a place in grad school that didn't feel constricted. So in retrospect, I'm seeing, and I have grown that since I finished. So that's been, I've, I like to write and I'm able to continue working on my writing. I think now 
part of the evolution is sort of decolonizing. And I say that intentionally, sort of what academia expects from writing. I've thrown off a lot of those, but there are a lot of the, you know, structures and ideas about how voice and and form but there's all these other levels and so i've had to work with someone who's actually was an academic and and now is doing more creative writing to and it's been an interesting experience i've worked with her to to continue my writing practice and write in different forms and it takes breaking a lot of uh a lot of the templates i received along my you know academic career and I will say the other thing about that that I'm really interested in. So now it's sort of I circle back to my intellectual curiosities, you know, then you start to theorize and go down that. That piece never goes away, which is I'm starting to think this isn't rocket science, but I'm really observing the degrees to which the limits of academic, the, the limits of the form of academic writing for telling the stories and experiences of people like myself, people like us. Um, they, the form can't hold the narrative. And so it's not just a question of being boring or constricting. It's a question of expression, storytelling, information passing, theory passing, all of this stuff. And, you know, that seems like one of the more leading edges, I think, in writing of, in academic writing of being able to continue to to change what that actually means. Um, we talk a lot about in terms of whether it's, you know, not the style, is it a blog, you know, all, but I'm talking about the actual nature of writing itself. And that's a question that interests me. I'm not, I don't think I'm going back to, to you know, to try to get a job to, to teach that, but it is a, an observation. And, um, and so, yeah, those are sort of, I think, I'm also at a crossroads of what next. So this, I have not tied my life up in a neat bow with a new profession. I'm still translating what academia looks like for me in another incarnation. And I'm probably the type who's not gonna, you know, who's probably gonna make a leap into a different profession in general with all of this being meaningful. And I think a long time ago, I realized even in college that I had a wide range, uh, wide range of interests, and I don't think the U.S. in particular is very hospitable to people with many different interests. You know, it's a pick one and roll with it, become a master, and that's the narrative. So if if you have any interests, and then there's confusion as to what, not confusion, but like, do I go this way? Do I go that way? We don't have a lot of of um, support for what does that mean? And then career change, you know, that looks like, oh, your life's falling apart, or, you know, you can't make up your mind, or Mm -hmm. I, uh, I've had to kind of reframe, and I'm still reframing my life as sort of, you know, an adventure in that way, that there's twists and turns, and learning to be okay with that, alongside my colleagues who have done very linear paths, you know, so. Yeah, it's, it's also a life thing, right? Like, I don't want to go into another tangent, but, um, but isn't it like, maybe it's Buddhism, but like sort of looking at life as, as a learning path and not mm-hmm. sort of, and I say this as, as somebody who's also, um, so I'm, I'm a single parent and mm-hmm. um, my three-year-old has discovered boxes um, that people love to put them in. Um, right. Our current box is I am a boy. Um, mm-hmm. Because I have, like, I have never, like, we talk about gender, we talk about mm-hmm. sort of, assigned sex at birth but we don't I don't necessarily call my child a boy or a girl Mm -hmm. um, because anatomy is not destiny right Mm -hmm. um but uh 
but our current box is I'm a boy. Um, and it's fascinating to me how these sort of societal things of what you're saying, you know, like you have to tick off these points, mm-hmm. how they permeate into every fabric of of living here. Um, my niece, again, she's 10. Um, she already has a bunch of boxes she has to tick off, right? And like run with it. And mm-hmm. you have to think of college already and then from college to grad school, like... Also, she's an immigrant, so obviously she has to go to grad school. Um, you know, right. um, and one could critique capitalism for it, but it's not like it's not something as simple as that, right? Mm-hmm. It's not like, and it's not a blame game at the end of the day. I think what's interesting to me about what you're saying is that how it can be such an intellectually debilitating exercise because, like, it's not inclusive in that it's not celebrating everything that you've done so far. Um, but instead is expecting you to shed things to become an expert mm-hmm. um, because mm-hmm. experts have seen the world, saved the world, right? Um, mm-hmm. But because um, we've ended global hunger and climate change is like a thing of the past, right? Um, but, um, and I think like that's something, that's a moment, like that is something I guess we should talk about a little more about, you mm-hmm. know, the ways in which we can think of, of our time in academia being generative, not necessarily like transactional of it, mm-hmm. like leading to something else, um, mm-hmm. but as generative for for itself as and as a node for different paths, not necessarily sort of, you can't have one path, like, like that doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, no, <laughs> definitely. I think of, I mean, I have, Someone asked me not too long ago if I if I did become a professor, did I regret going to graduate school? And my thoughts were, no, of course not. You know, they seem they seem different. And I it's hard to even put language to um, my graduate experience for what it did for me as a person. And I think that's that's part of I something that I've omitted, but I'd speak to which is I think grad school was really formative to my critical thinking, to my worldview. I think I got politics in in graduate school. Um, And I'm talking about 3D, like these are big questions about how I embodied, how I wanted to move forward and live. Um, Those are really enriching and vital, I think, dimensions of anybody. And I'm not sure where else those happen unless you're directly involved kind of with mm-hmm. social justice or kind of out in the streets, really thinking about big world uh, problems. And I think for those of us who have those inclinations, um, my iteration of it, grad, grad school was a perfect place to really um, be accountable and to think deeply about um social inequality, you know, in sophisticated ways, not just in mm-hmm. there's you know, rich and poor. Exactly. Know. And so um, that I think is when we look around the world, I don't <laughs> I'll, I'll hone in on the United States. I'm not um, I don't think that's what's going on right now. You know, so I, I and the more critically thinking people out there, I think that's the best tool you can provide. Mm-hmm. So back to the mm-hmm. enterprise of teaching, I think that's amazing and needed. And um I think part of what wasn't happening, and it, this depends on your person and what time of life and all these different factors, mm-hmm. but I didn't like the person I was becoming in grad school, you know, through grad school. I thought mm-hmm. I was becoming um, 
because I wasn't finding any kind of uplift in it. It didn't, I wasn't feeling inspired. I've started to feel grumpy and resentful and put upon mm-hmm. and some other things. And I had to take a sober look to say, you know, is this who I want to be? And, and that part, you know, that's not about grad school. That's about me in grad school, you know, mm-hmm. uh, which I think because it wasn't particularly not grad school, but tenure track wasn't necessarily a fit. Um, one thing I've heard about academia and it's helped put language on it. And I think is that, you know, it's a space of evaluation. And when you're being evaluated, you can't be creative. And yeah. I'm fundamentally interested in creativity, which doesn't mm-hmm. mean you can't find your ways and all that kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah, but still. But still. Yeah. And um, and that, I feel that deeply. And so I felt less secure after grad school than I think I did moving in. And not for the right reasons. You know, I think having my mind messed with and having to reevaluate, you know, reevaluate my thinking and all of that's beautiful. I will continue to do that. But there was a certain dimension of the hierarchical piece that didn't work. And so I think the real question isn't about whether, you know, these are all case by case. Um, these are all very individual questions. But I think part of what, I don't know if things are changing, so I want to hold hope. But just um, that holding that core of like what's important to you feels really, mm-hmm. um, it feels like that's maybe something you won't get from grad school. I know you asked about the the generative pieces. Um, but wanting, it's not even just what do you want to do with a career, but who do you want to be kind of. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And absolutely. there's a lot that grad school did for me as a person that went above. It was the social life. It was mm-hmm. the, the inquiry. And I, as I've said, I'm afraid of losing those things, right? Like, mm-hmm. of course, they exist beyond academia, but that's the part that that's where I've that's where I first kind of yeah was was embraced by it all um yeah for <laughs> sure and and that is that is a scary thought like i i have friends who've transitioned into mm-hmm. what i think is is the best of both worlds where they sort of they have one foot in academia enjoying mm-hmm. the things they like most about mm-hmm. being in an academic setting but at the same time doing something else with their life mm-hmm. um which is which gives them intellectual uh, sustenance, but mm-hmm. also financial sustenance. Um, yeah. And so that's sort of the best of both worlds. And that's something that they've carved out for themselves um, mm-hmm. after like, after many tries. Um, mm-hmm. And, and again, at no point in time, am I saying it's their fault? Um, but, you know, these things take time um, and we all need to like have patience and grace with ourselves. Um when when you were talking though i was i was thinking you know um as as somebody who's transitioning out of of mm-hmm. academia um well i had two questions um one was sort of if you were to go back to the first day that mm-hmm. you were in like grad school orientation mm-hmm. what would you tell yourself would it, would it be anything anything different Probably not, because I had a little voice that told me when I chose to go back to school that was like, if this doesn't work for you, you don't have to do it. Exactly. And, yeah. and so I had given, gotten myself off the hook, at least, you know, that was there. I knew that part of me was there. So I don't, I don't regret, again, I far from regetting any of this, you know, I, uh, I certainly have tripped and fallen and, you know made certain decisions and here I am, but, uh, but I'm not sure I would change anything that I've done. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
Yeah, I had a voice in my head also um, because I think for the first two minutes of of my um, grad school orientation, I was like, "Yeah, I'm going to become a professor at the end of this yada yada," and then minute three, reality hit when um, the the chair of our department sort of uh, told us the statistics of how mm-hmm. many people got jobs and like how history as a profession was was you know had been in dire straits since the 1980s, and I was just like, "Okay." um you will survive this and land on your feet no matter what like it like it's not a one size fits all like it'll be fine um and you got into this to learn and Mm -hmm. to you know feel vulnerable and sort of be exposed Mm -hmm. um so that's what you'll do and enjoy um (laughs) exactly that's what I told myself um there's some days I was just like why did I do that um but most days I thought it was a good idea most days mm-hmm. um and I guess the second question that I had was you know um what advice or like questions might you have for um for people who are um beginning to think of grad school who are mm-hmm. in grad school like what would you advise them to think about um or to keep an eye on yeah I think something that I haven't talked about so far, but I I do think about location and all of the things that I haven't talked about, which is everything beyond academia. Mm -hmm. And often, even when you're getting kind of quote unquote advice, people aren't talking about family. They're not talking about children. They're not talking about immigration status and what that might mean. Um, And I think all of those things are equally, if not more valid to the job. And so there's a way that those don't enter into the conversation. And and I just kind of want to honor that they are there and should be part of the conversation. And it's okay to make them part of the conversation, um, even if it's just location. And I've often, in my experience over the years, seen that the more specific you are with where you want to be, the, the more like, you know, some facet of the job, you know. I want to be in these types of places, just narrowing down and having the desire and will to say, this is what I want, not that, that usually it works out that way. I'm not saying it's a perfect trajectory, but that the people who kind of just, you know, I'll take whatever they get, whatever. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, exactly. You know, so you've seen this. Yeah. And so I do think that it's, you're, it's okay to ask and to have, you know, to know what, what's important to you with all these questions to, so that life can be generative and feel good to, you know, in addition to the trials of grad school and of a tenure track, you know, career, if that's what you want and you might move around. So I think that's the number one thing I see in a lot of my friends is that they aren't satisfied with where they are. And Uh I don't live that experience. So I don't know exactly what that's like. I know they've made lives where they are, but it is something that has been, repeatedly said about that they don't like the location. And so I think that's sort of a general piece just to honor all the parts of yourself and that it shouldn't be an all-consuming process, even though it's going to feel like that often, um, you know? And um, and I think, you know, I don't, I, I don't like the scare tactics of like only this amount of people get jobs, you know, it's, it's okay, great. You know, is that to defeat us? You know, what are you trying to say? I won't get a job. You might not, but you might also, you know, and so it, it that's true of every profession. It's life, you know, so 
Exactly, exactly. And and it's true of every, like, every program. It's not like, you know, people who get MBAs or, or I don't know, get engineering degrees. It's not like everybody gets a job. Like, it's a hustle for everyone, right? That's and right. it's about finding like location 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 you know it's not just with the house it's it's with everything right yeah. you want to um i know my 3 year old disagrees with me um but location <laughs> cuz right now they're not liking it's been 3 months but every day i get to hear i'm so sad we left lansing um oh, okay <laughs> so um i don't like living here um but anyway um so you know um but the, the reason I bring that up is just because, you know, we don't often, we don't think of where we'd like to be. Mm-hmm. I'm currently living in a bigger city. It's mm-hmm. nice to live in a city. Mm-hmm. It's nice to have the sights and sounds, um, to have access to things, mm-hmm. um, to not be in a small place. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, there's there's so many other sort of parts of our identity that can get lost when all we think about is is grad school um and and you know the people who do other things with their lives think about these things so it's Mm -hmm. not like just because you do a phd doesn't mean you shouldn't think about these things that's right 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 um because if you did another degree like another graduate degree you'd be thinking about this Mm -hmm. like would i really want a job in i don't know middle of nowhere yeah like whatever would i and would i want to uproot my family to do this right why is why do you think like you don't have the same choices and yes the statistics for people getting jobs outside or inside academia are not great but that's i think across the board for pretty much everybody yeah um um yeah i think i think that's an important part of i think one of the most important parts of of graduate school that we miss out on sort of taking a little bit of an inward look and thinking about why am I doing this? Mm-hmm. Um, how is this something that enriches my life? Um, yeah. And and my personhood, not just a career path, like my personhood. That's right. How is this something that I can, like how is this making me a better person? And if it's not, then maybe it's not such a great idea. Um, right? Um and I think that's important to think about, especially for early career grad students, but also like people on the job market, um, whatever job market you're on, like not just academic, but like whatever job you're looking for, that's something to think about, right? But the other thing too, is that your interests will change. And so mm-hmm. not to be, that's okay. That's, I just want to validate that and new opportunities come out of those new interests. Mm-hmm. And I promise usually there's some through line between all of it, even if the outside form looks different. So just, I think it's a good thing. It's not a dangerous thing or a scary thing. I think it's a really lovely thing, how thing, you know, how our interests move in different directions mm-hmm. and then arc back kind of like your trajectory, you know? And so just to say that, you know, you don't have to define the project and then stick to it. It can be let life and everything and, you know, enhance that. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and grow with it, right? Like grow, that, that's a part of growing, right? But yeah, that, that's an important, like, that's such an important part, just giving yourself the grace to grow. That's, so I guess the, the sort of, the, the big question that I had was, 
as you're navigating this transition out of um, out of academia, I guess the simplest way to ask this question is, how are you doing? Um, and, you know, is there something you'd like to share with us about that? Sure. I think one is humility, which is that I don't have all of the skills or translation work, as you were talking about, to translate. And so I've had to to get help. So anything from, you know, the time spent learning how to build a CV to now the time spent learning how to create a resume, you know, those types of, of a one-page letter, not a two-page letter, you know. Um, expertise is valued, but how do you articulate that in a way that is not... Um, doesn't have the posture of what people think of as expert, you know, I think that care, I think there's also, I've come to see that there's also prejudice against academia. And, and I think it's in the face of that, that I've also come to appreciate what I have in that background and the work that um, Mm -hmm. academics do. And so um, I think the art is, you know, I think it is kind of a, it's a craft, there's the technical part of it. And then, um, there's also, uh, well, there's not, there's art, but <laughs> I think I've had to learn a lot to, to do the translation work. Um, and I'm still learning. I, this is by far a, you know, uh, I'm a student of this. And, and I think there's also the question of how much do I want to try on something completely new versus something that is, you know, works from this basis of my skill set and honoring that what I do have, even though it's hard sometimes to say, what do I know? I'm just sort of a writer talker. Um, <laughs> so I, I don't have, um, you know, I think everything's so specific. I've often thought about going back to school, in which case I know how to do school. I think we all know how to do school. So um, that part is less uh, intimidating this round than it was applying for graduate school. <laughs> Um, I'm more focused, you know, than I, as a student, I'd be more focused student now, uh, with just, I've been around the you know, block a couple of times. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I just, because I am not on the other side, I'm in process, you know, I wish I could sit here and say, oh, I've comfortably found what I'm going to do with the rest of my life. And I haven't. And, um, I do know I want to continue writing. You know, I once heard a, a, a statement about a portfolio life and I really liked that because again, uh-huh. I, I, I have too many interests and want to keep things moving. I like having di- like diversity in my day of activity and whatnot. And so um, I would like to keep writing. So I think, for example, I think we all can keep writing if that's something we interest, we're interested in research and writing. Mm-hmm. I have colleagues that write for mainstream venues, you know, who aren't tenure track. And so I think, you know, there's parts of this trying to to locate the parts of academia, even if the whole package isn't for you, there's things that brought you to it and you can keep doing. And I've been surprised at how uh, satisfying and um, satisfying that's been. And it's just taken me into spaces I wouldn't have ever gone into. You know, if I hadn't been willing to risk just, I don't care, I'm not, you know, tenure track, I'm gonna write these things. That's how I interfaced with, you know, with the Environmental uh, History Network. So. Um, experiment, I think curiosity, all of these things serve people and being willing to humility, being willing to, to move beyond. Uh, I don't think of them as the ivory. I don't think of this as the ivory tower, but you know, move, move beyond that proverbial space. So. Yeah. And then the whole thing of what you said about language is so important, right? Like um, we academics talk is very particular um, mm-hmm. and, and, 
translate and and I think that's true of pretty in pretty much every expert field um mm-hmm. I feel like academics get a bad rep um mm-hmm. but that's true of pretty much every field right okay. um we all have our vocabularies um but I think uh, I feel like the way the the place where it is not justified but the the place that I can understand where it comes from is that to me at least so many of these um, institutions were founded to create knowledge that was publicly accessible mm-hmm. um so and writing is a great way to sort of um, achieve that goal mm-hmm. and to remain relevant not in a way to like keep your job or anything but just you know intellectually relevant and mm-hmm. how do you drive society forward mm-hmm. um because you don't want to be talking down. Nobody mm-hmm. got anywhere no, with that. No, um, that's what we're talking about. Yeah. Um, which is why I think what you said about the keeping on writing um, is so important. And so I was wondering if you had any advice uh, for people about like writing, what, what's your favorite like advice on writing, like how to write, where to write. Um, yeah. How do you stretch those writing muscles? Because we all get stuck in the ways we write, right? So, right. Well, I think one writing every day, making it a writing practice, I have to think of it more like art in that sense, that it's an art, a writing practice, not a thing you do, you know, and when you're writing a mm-hmm. dissertation, of course, you're doing it a lot. Mm-hmm. But it also is a skill that I find that if you don't practice it, it, it becomes harder. So <laughs> dissertation, again, or book writing, that the allocating time for it is important. And reading, I'm a avid, I, I still love to read and I think it's key to writing and I don't have the science to tell you what's going on in the brain and all of that. But I do think just from vocabulary to phrasing to, um, you know, people reading people who's writing you like, and then trying to, first you're trying to understand what they're saying, but then as another, at another level, trying to understand their, their craft, how are they phrasing things? And you, you can study and learn from from people. I mean, who has time for that in grad school, right? But, but, and, you know, that's not the focus in grad school or in academia, for the most part, people, good writing isn't what's um, emphasized. So I think it has to be something that you want for yourself. And it's rewarded in moments. I mean, for me, it's just about personal reward. Oh, I think I'm improving as a writer, and more clear and all these things. Um, I'm also a big believer that, um, you know, our academic voice tends to come from our head. It's um, it's not filled with emotion. It's not filled. It's not written from a deeper part in our bodies. It can be, but it's not. That's not the model that will be told to you. I think uh, richer writing is is comes from other parts of us, and so learning about the different voices that we write from out of ourselves. You know, that's different than our spoken voice. For many people, it's different than your spoken voice being able to isolate those different voices and then to learn where is this coming from. Um, I think there's a lot of inner work that has to be done to create a fluid external voice. And that should be uh, um, a discovery and enjoyable discovery process, sinister or anything like that. But just that I found that as I've um, resolved work with explored stuff within myself my writing has changed and so i think writing is also an inter- an internal job as much as an external and i i would also just say that curiosity is really important and that enthusiasm goes a long way in inspiration and having us want to say something that 
is meaningful. And so the project, having projects that really continue to excite you, you know, you want to work on, obviously they can become tedious at some points, but that you never lose the fire for is also is an important piece. And that's just to the, to keep the ideas moving. And, you know, and then there's always working with people, which I'm, I'm an advocate of those who can help you refine your technical craft. Mm-hmm. Because as you know, with academia and language, you know, when I heard the ways in which, which of my era, I th- I'm not sure if that's gone yet, but <laughs> my era, it's just like, are there other ways to speak? And so I started rejecting certain, I'm still trying to break the right, you know, repetitive filler and, you know, cause it's, no, I'm not always right, but, um, but, uh, um, that doesn't usually come out in writing well, the ways in which it does, but, uh, but breaking those things, becoming aware of how we speak, I think all makes for really exciting and dynamic writing. And yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think, I think one of the things that really struck me when you were talking was sort of decolonizing the mind. Mm-hmm. Um, like one of the things that I realized when, um, when I started my PhD program was the way, the way in which um, that, that I write uh, that, or at least I used to write, um, like a good post-colonial. Um, mm. So there were a lot of, there's a lot of passive voice, right. um, but like longer sentences. Mm. Um, and so much of it is colonization of the mind, right? Right. Um, right. But breaking that is also really difficult. Um, and And I'm also not fully convinced that the, that the model that I'm being, that I was sort of being pushed into was necessarily my voice because... Right, like we all find ways to these structures that we inherit and embody. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also navigate at our own pace and in our own way. So, like mm-hmm. we create these um, checks and balances in our head of like how do how do I express myself in a way that comes out the most? Right, right. Um, and to, now that I now I've become even more uh, conscious of when every time I say right, uh, <laughs> but. <laughs> Uh, but but changing that um, was an extremely scary process. Yeah. I'm not saying I regret it, sure. um, but it was a scary process mm-hmm. because I it 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 meant trying to rewire my brain, and I don't think I rewired it completely. Uh, I'm not even sure if it's a happy middle ground that I'm at right now, mm-hmm. um, because now when I like when I write about South Asia, for instance, I find myself having an out of body experience mm-hmm. where I'm wondering, is this how I really want to say this? Mm-hmm. Um, the same way I have an out of body experience when I'm writing about North America, because I'm just mm-hmm. like, this is the way this should be said. Um, yes. You know, I, I'm constantly trying to make, like, I'm not sure where I land yet. And that is like I'm okay with muddling through it right I'm okay with it not being a hundred percent clear um mm-hmm. that's okay mm-hmm. um, but I think it's important to acknowledge that yeah that we all come to to writing it from different points mm-hmm. and at different points in our life and that following one path whatever path that may be can be extremely regimented mm-hmm. uh, and so much of writing for different avenues, like you talked about, is is not is not so much unlearning as much as sort of trying to find ways to 
to use the exercise as a generative experience. Mm-hmm. Um, in in writing about another part of the world right now, I have literally wondered why my brain hasn't broken because there's you mm. know because writing is is trying to bring everything that you know out. Right. Writing is lived experience. Writing is intellectual mm-hmm. expertise. Everything onto right. um, old school, I would say, uh, a piece of paper. But it's time to bring all of this out, and and yet that's not something we think about often. That mm-hmm. how does my brain work? How does it map the way I express myself, and mm-hmm. what changes when I code switch from my spoken language to the way I write, um, what gets lost Mm -hmm. and do I feel encumbered? Is it liberating? Mm -hmm. Sometimes I felt like I'm two different people when I'm writing about South Asia versus North America because, but now that I've realized in both cases, I'm fighting with myself for the most part Mm because I'm just like, I'm just wondering (laughs) what do I say and how do I say it? Right. Right. Um, But it is generative. I don't mean to say that it's, exasperating or frustrating it's it's an immensely satisfying experience mm-hmm. and it's nice to be able to just enjoy that mm-hmm. um and writing for different audiences that that again is 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 uncomfortable mm-hmm. um especially when you are used to writing for an academic audience or like having written a dissertation or while you're writing a dissertation it's scary mm-hmm. um but it is rewarding because it gets your brain to sort of recalibrate the way it's taking in knowledge, the mm-hmm. way it's communicating that knowledge. And I mm-hmm. think it's it's important to acknowledge, but also enjoy that discomfort. Like, it's not a bad thing. No, not at all. Right? Um, discomfort is not a bad thing. Um, no. So, um, but yeah. Thank you. This has been a really, really great conversation. Thank you. Okay. You can also follow us on Twitter at ENVHIST now. We'll see you soon with more Community Voices. This show is produced and edited by Emma Mosswild and Natalie Jo Rose Wilkinson, with music provided by Natalie Jo Rose Wilkinson and Christine Murphy. Special thanks to Elizabeth Hemateman, to this season's contributors, and to you for listening. <laughs>